0: It's time for The Predator Way Podcast. The show starts now. Yes, sir!
1: Welcome to the Predator Way podcast on Penalty Box Radio. I'm your host, Boyd Farish, and joining me today is Predator's meme master and part of the Renegades of Puck. It's Kyle Perkins.
0: Kyle, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Not too bad. Thanks for having me, Boyd. Excited to talk a little hockey today.
1: Great to have you and uh, certainly plenty to talk about today. We will certainly spend much of the time talking about the end of season press conference from general manager David Poyle and head coach John Hines, and start to look ahead at what the off-season plan looks like and also what we think it should be. We'll spend a few minutes catching up on the Milwaukee Admirals playoff run, and we'll take some of your questions on the Predators offseason and where things go from here. So Kyle, I thought it would be interesting to take a minute to look back and rethink the offseason plan in 2021 where general manager David Poyle infamously coined the phrase competitive rebuild, where the team really looked to get younger and start to create an identity under head coach John Hines. When we look back at that, it really does seem like, in hindsight, they accomplished what they set out to do. They moved on from multiple veterans, Ryan Ellis, Victor Arvidsson, and Callie Yonkrook. They protected Tanner Janot over Kelly Yarncroke, which David Poyle confirmed today, he was aware that Seattle would have taken Tanner Janot if he'd been unprotected. And the result of those moves set the stage for the Predators elevating Philip Tomasino into the everyday lineup. So with the result of those moves in mind and how the past season played out, does any of that influence how you look at the 2022 offseason
0: I think it does uh, just for the fact that they attempted to do what they said they were going to do and you could see when Paul came out in his press conference today he said I messed up I didn't give John the tools he needed to win so I believe they're going to do what they said they were going to do uh, at least to the best of their abilities you look You have Ellis Arvidsson off the books now. He has the money, the cap to sign Forsberg back. You've got a year of experience for Philip Tomasino. Hopefully you move him up to being more of a a minute eater. He went on to say later on in the press conference that guys like Jano and Tomasino aren't used to an 82-game schedule. Uh, Even you can throw Ely Tolvanen in there with that as well. He's never really played an 82-game schedule either. So I believe they're going to try to continue down this path of younger players to complement the older talent that they already have on the team.
1: Yeah, I think that's, that's a great point around how they were able to get Tomasino in the lineup and, and what that means going forward. He finished the regular season at, I think, 32 points, if I'm remembering correctly. So with a move into a permanent top six role, it's not impossible to think that those 32 points could translate relatively easily into 50 or 60 playing with more talented players on a nightly
0: basis. I absolutely think that's very possible. Uh, if you look at what Paul said, he basically apologized to Ryan Johansson. He he mentioned Mikhail Grandland as well, but he basically said this second line center was on an island and he really had nobody with him and that was... Cunning and Tolvanen. Tolvanen, I won't bash on too much. He had a bad offensive year, but everything else was good. Cunning was bad all around. He couldn't finish and just bad penalties. I liked the look of that line whenever it was together with uh, Johansson and Tomasino and Tolvanen. So maybe you give them a little bit more time to mesh and see what happens from there if they don't bring somebody else in.
1: And we'll touch on John Hines a little bit more in in the next bit when we look at the contract extensions given to the coaching staff as part of the press conference today. But there is certainly criticism to be levied for a certain unwillingness to move Luke Cunnan out of the top six, while also being very willing to move Ellie Tolvanen out of the top six. So the big news of the day certainly was the end of season press conference for general manager, David Poyle and head coach, John Hines, and made especially intriguing by the fact that the Predators waited over a week from the end of their season to hold this press conference, where typically they have waited in the three to five day range, almost always less than a week. This time they waited over a week, which Certainly fostered plenty of speculation amongst the fan base and and certainly the Predators Twitter about would there be significant changes either to the front office or the coaching staff? Would we hear about Philip Forsberg? Is there something happening there that we're not aware of? Well, The reasoning, it would seem, I think most surprising to everybody is that the time was really spent to work out contract extensions for the entire coaching staff. And that was leaked by Adam Vingen Wednesday night, the 18th ahead of the press conference, which sent almost entirety of Predator's Twitter into a spiral, trying to understand what was actually happening. As it turns out, it's a two-year extension for the coaching staff, which in my opinion, not that bad of a deal. I personally had thought that giving the team option for John Hines for one more season was the right path, but giving two years doesn't lock the team in too much farther. It still retains some of that prove it season leverage and keeps a bit of stability in the near term while this roster evolves to what the next phase of it might be. Kyle, what was your reaction to the extensions for the coaching staff?
0: Uh, like you, I thought it would probably have been better with a just picking up the option. But the Two years, not bad. If you have to buy them out for a year and a half of that contract, it's not the end of the world so much as if you go to a four-year extension, five-year extension. You know, Heinz, he did a good job for what he had. He had a team $15 million under the cap and got them in the playoffs. I know Paul was saying that during the press conference, but it kind of does make sense. He's playing behind the eight ball and still got him at least there. So says something for the guy. He's only had one actual 82-game season. I don't count anything the year of the lobby firing. That was a circus. And then the next year is the, okay, we're only going to play four or five teams. So here you go there's not a lot of coaching that can be done in that situation. He's only really had one actual year and he took a team that was supposed to be dead last or close to dead last and made them into a playoff team, even though they backed in and got blown out, they still got there. So I think he deserves a little bit of credit.
1: Yeah. I think there's, there's a lot to fall back on from the perspective of positives. And when John Hines was hired, some of the commentary from David Poyle was he can extract better performances out of veterans while growing younger players and being a player's coach, a sort of emotional intelligence coach, if that makes sense, which is sort of weird to say because Heinz sort of has this real tough guy persona when you just sort of see him carry himself, but he's very much, A communicator, a player's coach in the sense that he wants to understand what makes his players tick. He wants to understand their needs, what they want to do, but also be able to communicate what he needs from them. That's obviously been a story with certainly Matt Duchesne all season. But you look at the highest of highs in terms of individual production and bringing in some of the younger players, Tanner Junot, Yakov Trennan, Philip Tomasino, that all played significant roles up front and then also the growth by Dante Fabro and Alex Carrier on the back end that really enabled some of those other performances and there are a lot of positives to be drawn there are plenty of criticisms in terms of lineup decisions not enforcing a level of discipline on ice maybe some of the lack of adjustments in game especially towards the end of the season when the team was scuffling but At this point, I would say the positives outweigh the negatives, and another two years feels like the right move for this team today. And as you said, Kyle, it doesn't lock the team in such that if things go south, they can cut bait, and it's not going to cripple the team financially.
0: Yeah, exactly. And you go into some of the lineup decisions like Harper the beginning of the season and then Cunning all season. who has pictures of something I'm sure somewhere (laughs) and I just don't understand that one but there's good and there's bad with every coach like you said he's more of an a player's coach and I don't think he signs this extension if the players in their exit interviews didn't give glowing reviews of Hines you mentioned specifically Matt Duchesne and Matt Duchesne loves this guy and Talks about how much he's helped him and how good of a communication it's been between Hines and the players. You give, uh, giving back and forth between the players and the coach to put them in a situation to succeed. So that just goes to show if a player is willing to do what Hines is asking for them, they can be extremely successful. I know everybody loves Barry Trotz. A lot of people love, uh, Peter LaViolette neither of them ever had a 35 goal scorer, much less a 40 goal scorer, much less a 96 point defenseman uh it's kind of hard to argue against that he can't get the best out of some of these guys and then you look you've got an undrafted guy from moose jaw saskatchewan who is arguably now the most popular player on the team and he's comes in and he scores 24 goals in his rookie year. I'm not going to say that's all because of John Hines. I'm going to say he probably does help facilitate some of that.
1: With the two year extension, it maintains that level of prove it to say, okay, you've helped repair a team that was broken. After the Winter Classic in Dallas, they were broken. And He's repaired the mentality of the team. You look at over the regular season, and I'm pulling this from memory, but I believe when the Predators entered the third period with a lead, they were 31-1. and That's a strong team. They didn't give up leads. That's incredibly impressive. And now the next step is you've made the team regular season better and individual better great, we're going to give you more talent. Now you've got to go prove it in the playoffs. And that's going to be the next big test is they're going to make the team better from the front office perspective to finish in a better position in the standings. And now it's going to be about getting it done in the playoffs.
0: Paul even came out and said that a lot of the playoff failure of this team was his responsibility. He put the onus on himself. And I know that's Any good coach or general manager or executive is going to try to take step in front of that bullet for the guy under them if they're a good manager or executive or whatever, but he stepped in front of that bullet for Hines and said his failures in the postseason are more on him than on Hines because Hines hasn't had anything to compete with these teams that he's having to play against. Mm -hmm. Last year against Carolina, it was a complete mismatch. This year against Colorado, it's an embarrassing mismatch.
1: So the the next big step for both David Poyle and for John Hines is to take what it will presumably be a better roster and take the next step. Looking at the press conference overall, Kyle, what was your what was your biggest takeaway when you got through to the end, heard or read, probably both all the quotes, the questions that were answered. What was your biggest takeaway from the press conference?
0: That since the 2018 season, this team has not had a competitive roster. David Poyle admitted it, that he had not built the team that could win a cup. He didn't come out and say it, but he pretty much said that they were still holding on to the dreams of that 16-17 team that went to the cup final. And we're hoping to run it back. And I think he's finally admitted that that's not going to work anymore. You can see that from a few moves that they've made. But I think the most telling thing was they actually broke down the season into the 20-game the segments. And they said, we, we played well during this part. We played well during this part. And they didn't. It was hard for them to answer what went wrong. At the end of the season, that would be my biggest negative of why did we start going downhill at the end of the season? Why was you started to let in more goals on Soros? Soros looked untouchable for the first three quarters of the season. The last 30 games or so started the goals against started creeping up and everything else. So I think that's the big negative is they can't explain organically explain what happened.
1: Yeah, you would hope they would have a better answer for that with over a week of opportunity to sort of review how things tapered off. And certainly some of the injuries could be to blame. Some of the lineup shuffling could be to blame. But overall, the team didn't perform at the same level that they had the first two thirds to three quarters of the season. So if they didn't come out and say it, hopefully you would think there's ongoing work to understand what took place there. And what changed over that last bit of the season? So I think my positive takeaway, more than anything, was David Poyle's statements of, "We need better talent." At the biggest harps of the run- it-back era that Kyle you referenced is there was maybe the one free agency swing, Matt Duchesne, which was sort of an obvious. Everybody sort of knew he was going to come to Nashville. But there was never the, we're in a spot and we need to make a transformational move to push the team over the top. And I have some appreciation for the recognition that there are a lot of good elements to this Predators team, but there is not just a need for more work ethic or identity or toughness or just scheme change. The overall level of talent needs to be better. And David Poyle made the comment that there needs to be more talent and it is his job to get it. The flip side, somewhat ironically, my biggest negative was he made the comment that, and I think John Hines sort of went along with this as well, and that was these record-breaking seasons from these players, these career seasons from these players, primarily the ones who were in their late 20s or early 30s, And saying, we think they can do more. That's possible, but expecting a group of players who have set their career best seasons to do more is not a strategy. That is wishful thinking. And if the Predators plan is centered around Philip Forsberg hitting 50 goals, Matt Duchesne hitting 50 goals, Mikhail Granlund and or Ryan Johansson hitting 70 points, that is asking for trouble the plan has to be to supplement the talent of the roster such that when those record-breaking seasons don't happen, that it doesn't cripple the team's chances for success. So while I appreciated the commentary about needing better talent and seeking better talent, I am also extremely wary of the fact that there is an Understanding or belief or expectation that the players who played the best they have in their entire careers are going to find another gear on top of
0: that—that's scary to think of. That you're <laughs> you're depending on those guys. How did Heinz uh, put it? One percent better—that's an awful big thing. Uh, I did uh, powerlifting for years, and one percent over your max is still more than your max. So you're going to end up with that falling on you if you're not real careful about it and I mean you not to take anything away from any of those guys but to do it again would be a bit of a small miracle.
1: So Kyle resulting from the press conference today what's sort of the main question that still remains in your mind?
0: They say they're going to get talent for that second line what are you going to do what are you trading for somebody or are you bringing somebody up from Milwaukee or what are you going to do here? Are you going to try to offer sheet somebody you're kind of handcuffed because you traded away your second round draft pick. So you can't offer sheet anybody over 6.3 million. It's just, I want to know what they said. They're going to do it. I just need to know how.
1: That makes a whole lot of sense. And and honestly, my main question falls pretty similar. I'll sort of drill in a little more specifically Possibly the biggest problem with the Predators lineup this past season was they were an average to below average team in generating offensive chances. They finished at an elite level, but they didn't create a whole lot of offense. So especially highlighted in the Colorado series, when the finishing dried up even a little bit, there wasn't the volume of chances to make up for it. So on top of bringing in more talent, how is John Hines and the coaching staff going to tweak their system to not just rely on a counterattacking style and finishing at a high level? How can they be a little more consistent creating offensive chances such that they're not so susceptible to the rate of finishing drying?
0: When your third line is your best line at creating scoring chances, you have an issue, and it was that way for most of the year. Those guys would always be – they were always so hard in on the forecheck, and then they would buzz around the net. Most of Jano's goals were tip-in goals or dirty goals right there Mm -hmm. in the the crease. Those guys just made more high-danger chances than even the guys that were scoring a lot of goals. So you need a little bit of that go in there and do the dirty work. Sometimes you got to use them elbows, move some guys around in the the blue paint (laughs) a little bit.
1: So playing that forward a little bit, Kyle, put your own GM hat on for a moment. If you were architecting this plan that David Poyle laid out, what would you do? How would you bring this roster to the next level so that they can compete to be at the top of the Western Conference and contending for a Stanley Cup?
0: You'd need another top six forward. It's just you absolutely have to have one at this point. The secondary scoring is non-existent at this point, so you have to fix that. I think you make a trade. I would throw Cunnings rights as an RFA in, and you're probably going to need a pick and a prospect to get somebody who is a true top six forward. And I'm not saying they have to even be the biggest name out there, There's a couple of guys coming out in free agency, Nishuskin from the Avalanche, excellent player, but he plays with superstars, so who knows what he would do on Nashville. We've all seen the Sidney Crosby effect of guys that's played with him and then went other places and made a lot of money and didn't do a whole lot, but you've got to absolutely get another top six forward to shore up this top end that we should be relying on for scoring versus one line and a third line.
1: I completely agree. If I'm the predators and I put my GM hat on for a moment and I don't I don't know if this is realistic. I don't know if this player would even be available for a trade. I tend to land with you Kyle. I would sort of rather go the trade route than the free agency route. I don't love the idea of adding another 29, 30 year old on a long-term big dollar contract. But one name that pops up from a team that's kind of in a similar position and maybe looking to shake things up a bit, I would be calling Toronto and I would be asking about William Nylander.
0: Ooh, I like that.
1: The player that I would be dangling potentially as as a starting point, obviously this would not be a one for one. I might be starting with Dante Fabro.
0: That's exactly what I was going to say.
1: Toronto needs a right-handed defenseman like their life depends on it. And while it is commonplace to drag on his performance, and don't get me wrong, he makes some very questionable decisions with the puck from time to time. Roman Yossi doesn't get to 96 points unless he's playing next to Dante Fabro. You can't just put any right-handed defenseman in that spot and have Yossi be able to do that. So there is value at that place. But if you put 30 goal, 80 point William Nylander on the second line with Johansson and a Tomasino or a Tolvanen and replace Dante Fabro with another free agent, okay, Roman Yossi doesn't get to 96 points, maybe he gets to 75. And if you have 75 point Roman Yossi, but you have a second line with Ryan Johansson putting up 20 goals and 65 points, and William Nielander putting up 25 to 30 goals and 70 points. You net out ahead. So, his con he's he's under seven million
0: dollars. Yeah. For an
1: 80 point player, he is an absolute steal.
0: Yeah, and you could tell he was kind of disgruntled in their end of season press conferences because he was saying that's all they've talked about since I got here, and I don't hate that at all. Let's make that narrative a reality. <laughs> I would I would be on board with that. And he's Swedish. So maybe it would make Phil want to stay. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: There you go. So the last question for this segment before we go to a break. In your mind, Kyle, what makes for a successful offseason?
0: No 38 year old six foot six defenseman signed over the summer.
1: You mean you don't want Zdeno Ochara? No, no. I mean, he's like forty seven, but
0: I love Z, and I'm pretty sure he's gonna play till he's going out there with a walker with two bl- stick blades taped to it. Uh, but <laughs> no, they they need they need to stay. They don't really need to sign anybody older than 28. I would say uh, they really need to stay under that kind of threshold. Keep on with this youth movement. It's worked out pretty decent so far. So I would consider it a success. If they can add that top six forward, I really want William Nylander now because you put that in my brain and it won't go away. So stay young, add a forward, maybe add another defenseman. No no giant moves that are going to cripple the team down the road and don't trade away any picks if possible.
1: So for me, the successful offseason is addressing a couple of areas. You have to address the second line. You have to, you can't just count on, well, Conor had a bad year. He'll be better next year. Tomasino will grow. He'll be better. Those both might be true, but you can't rely on that to fuel a second line that underperformed so significantly. So doing something to address the second line. And to me, it's, that's the specific part of it, but it's, enacting the plan a plan was laid out they want to be a stanley cup contender they're willing to spend the cap to do it they're they recognize that the core of this predator's team while they got younger overall by effectively extracting a number of older players, the core of the team is still upper 20s to low 30s. And making that plan to really take that step forward and do something transformative, to me, that's a successful offseason. The unsuccessful offseason to me is tinkering, small moves around the edges this roster as it stands today is not good enough. And if they just tinker around the edges, that's not solving the problem. So I need to see something more significant to believe that they are really targeting a Stanley Cup run. Some great discussion there on the press conference today from GM David Poyle and head coach John Hines. Certainly some news coming out today as well around the extensions for the Predators coaching staff, so we will head to break. When we come back, we will give an update on the AHL Milwaukee Admirals and their playoff chase, and also answer a couple of questions that came across through Twitter. This is the Predator Way podcast, and we will see you again in a moment. And we're back on the Predator Way podcast. I'm your host, Boyd Farish, along with guest Kyle Perkins. And in the first segment, we spent a lot of time talking about the National Predators off season and the press conference held earlier today with GM David Poyle and head coach John Hines. So now we'll shift a little bit to the minor league affiliate Milwaukee Admirals and their playoff chase. In their first round playoff series, they did manage to defeat the Manitoba Moose three to two, and they're getting set to face the Chicago Wolves starting this upcoming Saturday. Kyle, what have you seen from the Admirals through the regular season or into this playoff chase thus far, looking ahead to their series against the Chicago Wolves?
0: Well, the ads this year, they started out pretty cold. They were rough to start off with through about Christmas. Remember Carl Taylor saying in an interview the other day that he thought they were last or second to last at Christmas this year. So they weren't even looking like a playoff team, which at this time you were still having the taxi squads and all this go on. So he was missing a lot of players that were up in Nashville and everything else. So they make their way in. They end up finishing third in their central division. And uh, they faced off against the Moose, who are an extremely good team. A very, very high-event hockey team is the Manitoba Moose, who are the affiliate of the Winnipeg Jets. Milwaukee did not outshoot Manitoba in a period until the last game of the series. They were outshot every single period up until the last game. And it, it was a... It was a battle. It was a rough five-game series. It was some really good hockey to watch. One of my favorite prospects actually came in and played, and that's Uso Parsonen. Ended up with a goal and an assist in separate games, but those were his first North American pro point and pro goal. So it's always good to see a guy come in like that, and that says a lot if he comes in and he walks right into a lineup in the playoffs. I
1: am continually excited about Yusuf Parsonen. He's big. He plays the full ice game. He's got very good stick skills. For a guy who was a former seventh round pick, his just determination and drive to be the best he can be really fits, ironically, with the entire Predators' identity and attitude. And it really just sort of feels like he's the type of player that's not going to be denied.
0: Absolutely. He does a lot of really good stuff with his hands. Just his puck handling is amazing, and he's such a big kid, too. He's 6'2", 6'3", 205-ish, and he throws his body around. And, you know, Nashville tends to have really good luck of finished players taken in late rounds. So hopefully if they got another one there. It's just it's fun to watch him play. Another guy down in Milwaukee that's been fun to watch is Cody Glass. Cody has had a heck of a year. He's led their team in scoring and he struggled at the beginning of the year too. But I know at the end of the last game that Milwaukee played, he was leading the team in shots and he missed the first two games of the series because he was with Nashville. So that tells you what kind of work that he is putting in down there. Another guy that Preds fans will be familiar with is Tommy Novak. Tommy had six points in those five games. Novak has looked, Awesome as well. So the cupboard's looking fairly decent down there in Milwaukee or up there in Milwaukee.
1: There's a lot of things to be positive about. Another player as well, traded at the trade deadline acqu- or acquired at the trade, trade deadline, was Braden Burke, who was acquired for Freddie Allard. In that five game series, Braden Burke had three goals. So, really interested to see how he starts to come into his own as a potential offensive piece with the Admirals. Yeah,
0: he's looked extremely good. Huntington, as well, has looked extremely good. They, they're they're hitting at the right time. The Chicago team that they're going up with is kind of like the avalanche of the AHL. So it's going to be interesting to see how the Chicago series goes. They're going to need everybody on board, but they've got Connor Ingram back in net, and he's been a stud for them all year long. It's going to be fun to watch.
1: Absolutely. The other two really high-end prospects for the Nashville Predators that are currently in Milwaukee, goalie Yaroslav Askarov and forward Luke Evangelista have yet to play a game, which is honestly not entirely surprising, but at the same time, still very good to see them with the team. And earlier today, Alex Doherty of A to Z Sports asked GM David Poyle about Yaroslav Askarov. And it was some very interesting commentary about how it was clearly a complicated situation, getting Askarov over to North America, getting him signed and getting him into Milwaukee. But Poyle has been also very impressed with the type of person Askarov is, the type of attitude he brings, and also just the raw tools that he has in net And very interesting, he mentioned that Predators goalie coach Ben Vanderklok was going to be heading to Milwaukee here in the next few days to spend some time with Askarov and start working with him on his game, on his technique, and starting to prepare him. Because you would think next season with UC Saros being the starter in Nashville, presumably Connor Ingram will have the inside line at being the backup in Nashville. And hopefully that would mean somewhere in the realm of 25 starts, which would open up the starting goalie spot in Milwaukee. That would be a tremendous opportunity for Askarov to start to play regular games and get a lot of work in, in Milwaukee to prepare for an eventual place in the net in Nashville.
0: Yeah, Askarov, he came from the SKA St. Petersburg organization and They, the KHL is really weird to deal with because they like to keep their Russian born players there, but they don't really take it well when somebody wants to go to North America and play, whether it be NHL or juniors or any, any other league besides their leagues. So Askarov, he started playing in the KHL at 17. He's the youngest goalie to ever play in the KHL. This year, he's played 15 total games. He has played fewer games this year than David Riddick. So, everybody talks about how how few games David Riddick played this year. Askarov has played less than David Riddick, and that's split between two teams. Uh, he wasn't even dressing for games for SKA's minor league team. He, he wasn't even on the bench. It's not not like he was sitting there on the bench watching. No, he was the practice goalie, if that. It's just, it's kind of sad that this kid has got so much potential, but now he's got all this rust built up on him. And I'm so happy that he's over here. He looks so happy. If you follow him on Instagram, you just see the joy of this kid and his personality. There was a video on his – he had a story today on Instagram of him and Igor Afanasev, and they're in Igor's car, and they're singing, and he's just laughing and having this good time. And it's you see the joy that this kid has for being over here, and it makes me happy. Paul said in his comments to Alex as well that uh, Yaroslav is going to go back to Russia and get his wife and bring her back. So that says to me that he's pretty confident in his decision. If he's ready to bring his wife here, he's a brave young man married at 20 years old, but, (laughs) but they always say goalies are weird.
1: (laughs) That is true. And you mentioned his potential and I saw a tweet here in the last couple of days from Byron Bader, who does a lot of great work on prospects. And he posted his player card for Yaroslav Askarov and made the comment that Askarov's star potential is the highest he's ever seen for a goalie at that age. Let that sink in for a moment. The highest he's ever seen for a goalie at that age. So the future is, is certainly bright for Nashville in net with, with Askarov having him come to North America and start to get the work and get the time and be with the coaching staff who have worked with Rene and Saros and Ingram and Devin Cooley, who started the first, the first couple of games of the Manitoba series.
0: And it was astounding.
1: And was very, very good. As you mentioned, Kyle, while the, the Admirals were being aggressively outshot by Manitoba, It's just a great situation for for Askarov to be in. Mm
0: -hmm. Speaking of aggressively outshot, it was a back-to-back. And Cooley started both games and faced a total of 86 shots between those two games. And I think he let in three goals. That's some ridiculous save percentages right
1: there. That is quite literally holding down the fort. Yes. Mm -hmm. All right. So certainly we'll look forward to seeing the Milwaukee Admirals here this weekend start their playoff series with the Chicago Wolves so now we'll transition to some questions from Twitter and the first coming from Seth Luttrell is it time to move on from Tolvanen for another forward Kyle what's your thoughts
0: absolutely not I know he had a bad year offensively if you look at their game as a whole Tolanen is one of the best defensive forwards. I would put him right up there with Granlund with his play defensively this year. The kid has a shot. He has an absolute just cannon of a shot, and he's always been so accurate with it. I think something is wrong, and I think he'll get it fixed. I don't believe he's a kid you want to move on from because I'm pretty sure you're going to get burnt by that move down the road.
1: Yeah, I would agree. He was one of the more consistent, positive contributors to the overall game for the Predators. And that's been a consistent point of growth the last couple of seasons and hopefully projecting out into next season as he's more comfortable playing that full ice game that allows him to then be a little more purposeful on the offensive end and really seek out those chances that allow him to increase his offensive output. So yes, I, I completely agree. It's it's not time to move on from, from Tolvanen short of another team just offering something bonkers for him, which I don't even know what that would be. The second question comes from... Weston Demundrian, as it relates to Philip Forsberg and some of the comments today. David Poyle made the comment that at the trade deadline, he was unwilling to move Philip Forsberg because he knew if he did, the Predators would not make the playoffs. Accurate. But later in the press conference, he also made the comment that even if Philip Forsberg walks, the Predators won't rebuild in a true full tear it down and start over sense so make it make sense. Kyle, how do you make it make sense?
0: To the best of my ability of making this make sense, if Forsberg walks, they have a ridiculous amount of open cap space. So you can throw money at free agents. You look at a Johnny Gaudreau, somebody like that. If you get him a Nazem Kadri, I think Kadri would fit in this lineup. He definitely has the attitude to fit in this lineup and penalties and suspensions and whatnot. But I don't want to say that that would be considered a rebuild because you're not really going down to do it. Uh, Losing Forsberg is going to hurt. It's going to hurt a lot. It's going to hurt us all personally. It's going to hurt us as fans. It's going to hurt the team. But one man does not make a hockey team. Ask any of the big guys that are sitting at home or on the golf course right now ask austin matthews if one man makes a hockey team so it's a group effort you can replace them it sucks but it happens
1: making up 40 goals is not simple but to your point you have a ridiculous amount of cap space to throw at On one hand, you would say any number of players, but the Predators don't have any number of roster spots and probably don't need to bring in that many new faces. So it really is about, at that point, making the one or two big swings to try to replace. But that's really a tough situation. And honestly, as it pertains to David Poyle, that he took that risk to make the playoffs. And if Forsberg walks anyway. That's a pretty significant indictment on David
0: Poyle. It doesn't look good. It definitely doesn't look good because you would have got the way that forwards were selling this past trade deadline. Forsberg would have had a massive amount of stuff coming back for him, even as a rental. So it's kind of depressing to think if he does walk, what we could have gotten in return. All right.
1: So, Final question for this segment, and not really a specific Twitter question, but just something that happened in Preds Twitter land. How great was it with one of the more prominent Preds Twitter personalities, at Angry Preds Fan, putting out the tweet of a supposed six-year contract extension for John Hines, and it trolling (laughs) 1025 to the point that it was mentioned three times in one day. <laughs> How much fun did you have following along with that?
0: Oh, it was so great. I loved it. Joe Rex wrote this morning. God love him. Oh, Ryan, you got him. You got him good. You got him better than that folding chair did. <laughs> and... <laughs> It's the clip of him and Robbie talking about it and you see the video and you see Robbie, his eyes that he knows. And it's the conundrum of, should I stop him and correct him or should I let him go? And he just lets him go. And it's amazing.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it was so good. It was so much fun. I mean, with. With that leading into the press conference was just, I mean, it was, it was perfectly timed. It just, it's just one of those moments where Twitter gets to be fun and Twitter got to be fun for a few hours. And, and I enjoyed that immensely.
0: We all needed a laugh.
1: That is very true. All right. So to, so to wrap it up with one of my favorite segments, which usually has nothing to do with hockey but I just think is a fun way to close a show. Kyle, what have you been watching?
0: So I'll preface it with uh, one that I wish I could watch, but I'm not in Canada, so I can't watch it yet. And that's Shorzy, the spinoff of Letterkenny. Really, really want to watch that. But what I've been watching is on Netflix. There is a a little limited series that has came out called The Pentaveret. And I kind of just bumped on it and... I was like, that looks like Mike Myers. And then I found out, oh, he plays all of like eight characters on this show about a secret society like the Illuminati, but they're nice. And it's very, very, don't watch it with your kids. I will put that out there now. It is not safe for work, especially the last episode and I will leave that there. But it has Keegan-Michael Key in it and Ken Jeong uh, from The Hangover, and it's just absolutely hysterical. One of the main characters is a Canadian news reporter, and uh, it's based off of somebody that Mike Myers watched on TV on his local news station growing up. And it's just, it's very well done. It's very funny. If you like Mike Myers, and they pick on Netflix, on Netflix. And that makes it even better. So if you like base level comedy, you'll probably enjoy this.
1: Very cool. It's one of those shows I've been aware of, but have not watched. So with with that endorsement, I I will think I will have to get into it. What I've been watching, needing to get into season two, but what what I've been watching is an, an HBO Max show called The Flight Attendant. It is... Kaylee, i would to absolutely butcher her last name, so apologies in advance, but Kaylee Cuoco, Cuoco, who played Penny on the Big Bang Theory, and she plays a flight attendant who gets caught up in basically an international murder mystery, and it is it is dark, it is funny and it's suspenseful it's one of those shows that I sort of went I'll watch one episode and see how it goes and six hours later I'm like I need to know what happens next so it is it is definitely like kind of a bingeable kind of for fun show what I do sort of appreciate about it is in the vein of it being dark and funny it doesn't shy away from showing the darkness of addiction which anybody who's had that in in their family kind of knows what that's like so being able to fold that into a show that is overall a little more lighthearted it's good that they don't shy away from it they really kind of show what what that really is so the first season's fantastic i'm about to get into the second season but i would highly recommend the flight attendant on hbo
0: i'll have to check that out that sounds pretty good to me
1: So that is our episode of the Predator Way podcast covered a lot of ground around the end of season press conference for general manager, David Poyle and head coach, John Hines, as well as the plans for the off season and what we actually think might take place to prepare for the 22, 23 season. So I am your host, Boyd Farish. Joined today by Kyle Perkins. Kyle, thank you so much for joining. Really appreciate it. Been a great discussion. Really look forward to having you on again here in the future on the Predator Way podcast. Glad to be here. So you can find me on Twitter at Boyd underscore one two one two, and you can find my written work on penaltyboxradio.com. Kyle, where can the people find you?
0: Uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at Kperk86. I do the Catfish on Ice podcast as well as uh, a Renegades of Puck.
1: Well, Kyle is certainly one of the most visible and engaged personalities in Predators Twitter. So, absolutely worth a follow. For the next episode, we will catch up closer to the draft and free agency. And really see how these offseason plans laid out by GM David Boyle are starting to play out, especially as it pertains to the negotiations with Philip Forsberg and what lies ahead leading into the 22-23 season. So thank you again for listening. Be well and we'll talk again soon.